Praise the Lord. Thank you, everybody, for coming. Another exciting week of Gospel Saving Church. This is a little cold outside. We're in January, but it, uh, we're nice and warm in here. And I pray today that the Word of God will heat us up today. As um, It is a message that uh, I'm going to pray that really strikes a chord with us all and um, really lights our fires because it, it has mine. So uh, let's pray and open up our service and then we can uh, jump right into the word. Oh, Lord, thank you so much for bringing us here today. And thank you so much for this little church that we got out of my home, Lord. And, and thank you so much for all the wisdom and the knowledge that you're giving us and giving me especially, Lord, to teach these people that are listening to me, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord God. I pray today that your Holy Spirit would speak out of my mouth as I speak. And that the people that are listening, the people that would ever listen, that their hearts would be pricked as they listen. And that they would respond appropriately according to what your word says great teacher Jesus as we learned some time ago we have to not only listen but we have to obey your teachings great teacher I pray that you would help us to do so and help those that are listening that will ever listen that are not yours to respond appropriately and to make the proper proper response to what you did for them on the cross we love you and we praise you and we thank you. And just ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So if you got everybody wants to open up to Matthew chapter 5, verses, we're going to be studying four verses today, verses 13 through 16. The title of our message today is simply, just like my new King James Version titles it, Salt and Light. So, we are just continuing on with the teachings of Jesus from the Beatitudes. Uh, we, we took two weeks to talk about the Beatitudes, and we've studied them. And it's something very important that we can't forget, as we're going to be going into 5, 13 through 16, is that this was one great whole sermon. This was one great whole teaching that's more formally known as the teaching on the mount. The Beatitudes was just a section, a topical, one of the topical things that Jesus taught on while he was on the mount. Hence why they call it the Sermon on the Mount. Because it was a teaching on this big, great mountain that uh, you know was there in their midst. Uh, so the whole time that he's teaching, from 5.1, from Matthew chapter 5.1 to Matthew chapter 7.29... It's one whole great sermon where he and those that are interested in him are sitting up on the mountain together and he's teaching them. Whoever came, you know, whoever was interested, they came and they started listening to his teachings. And so this sermon is focused on a certain section and so are others that are he speaks on. He speaks on little topical things. Uh, he taught a huge chunk of teaching in a relatively short amount of time. He Jesus maybe took between this two chapters and 
29 verses, he probably took 30 to 45 minutes to teach the whole thing. He didn't get in depth, and he didn't go in depth like he could have, like we are now, then. Us here, we're already several weeks in at more than 40 minutes apiece, going through just, you know, today will be another probably hour, just through the first 16 verses of this teaching. He probably rattled off this amount of teaching that he gave in probably five minutes or less. Once he got everybody settled down, he just opened his mouth, he started to speak. But Jesus' words were and are very, very deep, and they always will be. And so we're getting to hunkle down and hunker down and get in really, really, really deep as to where Jesus did not. But as we'll see in other sections of his ministry, he brings up the things that he taught that he taught right here on the Sermon on the Mount, and he gave us personal application, you know, on how we were supposed to live those things out. So, as I said earlier, in this great sermon, in this section, uh, he used the topical method of teaching. So there are two main ways that churches teach today. One is the topical method, and one is the expositional method. Now, we here at Expositional, we here at Gospel Saving Church teach the expositional way, which means whenever you know, we're in a book, right now we're in the Gospel of Matthew, so we're going to teach verse by verse through every single solitary book, or you know, every, every chapter that, you know, what book we go through. So we're in Matthew, we started in Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to go all the way to Matthew, whatever the last chapter of Matthew is, chapter 25, whatever, maybe 26, I'm not sure. Uh, but we're going to teach every verse in between that. We're going to go verse by verse, and whatever God puts on our hearts, that's what he's going to teach. We can't escape anything. We can't go around anything. We're just going to teach verse by verse by verse. Um, many churches today taught the way Jesus taught in this Sermon on the Mount. They teach topically, which means they pick a topic from the Bible. They pick a topic like sin. Or they pick a topic like death, or they pick a topic like, you know, blessings or whatever, and they talk on those topics week after week after week after week after week. So either one is good. There's not one that's bad. There's one that's good. It's just the way that God leads whatever, you know, a, a certain pastor to speak in a certain way. That's the way they speak. So Jesus in his topics that he taught on on the Sermon on the Mount ranged from godliness and holiness in his teachings, he touched on sin and service, what God considers sin and what God considers service. Uh, he taught on what God desires for those who would desire to follow his son or service. That's right. God talked on, Jesus talked on, what God wants us to do. In service unto him. Well, God actually really does, believe it or not, desire people to do something for him. Uh, in this American society we live in today, sadly, there are a lot of churches that will just tell you, oh, well, God just does everything, and God just does this, and God just does that, and people are just supposed to kick back, and they've got no responsibility, they just... Sit back. And sadly, there's even people that think that God just does it all for them and they're just supposed to 
hang out, kick back on your chair, grab an iced tea and a bag of chips and watch TV and just sit in peace and joy and just watch, do whatever you want and God's just going to wait till you die and then you get to go to heaven and that's it. And Well, sadly, uh, this is not what the Bible teaches as we're going to look today. God teaches always response. You know, what are you going to, I need you to do something for me or respond to come to me or so on and so forth. Amen. Uh, these teachings and beliefs, these false ones, exist primarily because of two reasons. One, either, either two reasons. One, either people just don't read their Bibles, which is very common in today. People just, you know, they, they'll, they'll hear something at church or whatever, but they'll, they don't read their Bibles. Or two, simply people just don't believe or trust what God wrote down in his word. And hence, and so on and so forth, if you don't believe what God wrote, what God taught, what the Bible says, you don't follow it. You just don't believe it, so you, hence you just don't follow it. I've met both kind of people on the streets and through work and so on and so forth throughout the years as I've been speaking about Christ. And unfortunately, many of these people believe that, hey man, I'm, I'm saved. I'm, I'm a Christian. Uh, and, but they sadly, they're deceived. Uh, the very title Christian means follower of Christ. Uh, the follower of Christ title means that you are going to follow Jesus and do the things that he did. In other words, obey his teachings. So on that, obey his teachings, we'll see how God looks at obeying the teachings of, of Christ. Go to 2 Thessalonians, and we're going to 7 through 9. So 2 Thessalonians, if you want to turn, you can turn right now. Seven through nine. And Paul writes to this church of Thessalonica, and this is when he talks about when the Lord Jesus is going to come back. I'm going to read it for you so you don't have to turn there, but it's Second Thessalonians seven nine if you want to turn there. And Paul writes, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, he is going to take vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So we see there... What did God say there in 2 Thessalonians? What did Paul write? He wrote that the real salvation is in obedience Amen. unto the gospel, and obedience unto what God said, not just sitting back, kicking back, give me an iced tea, I'll get some cookies and grab a bag of chips and so on and so forth, and we'll go from there. It's those who don't obey will end up... And notice how he clumped those that didn't obey in with those that didn't know God at all? Well, there you go. Those who don't obey the gospel, which is really surrender your life, which is what Christ did for us in our response to that is obeying and responding to that by our surrender of our lives. But he clumped those with those who just didn't believe at all. And you certainly can't 
follow Jesus and obey his teachings if, number one, you either don't believe the words that were written to tell us about them, or you don't know what the master told us and how to follow him. You, you cannot, cannot follow Jesus if you don't know what he said, how to follow him, and or you don't believe it. It's, it's impossible. It just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. The Bible even addresses this kind of thinking where someone says we have no responsibility in service unto God. And we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. I'll give you a moment to get there. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. You can read it with me or you can listen along. I'm going to read it so we don't have to turn there that way. The Bible says... For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man, anyone should boast. And he continues on, those are the most famous two ones, the first famous two. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, you have it there, how real salvation is. It's for by grace... By grace you have been saved through faith. God's free gift of eternal salvation that he laid out for all mankind. For by grace we have been saved through faith. And what he did for us, turning and having faith and believing that and trusting that and surrounding yourself to that, it is the gift of God. It's not by any works which anyone gets saved. It's not through any good deed you can do or any real, you know, any... I'll look at how good I am, or so on and so forth. So that's how somebody gets saved. So that's done. We got that. Now, what next? Paul writes, verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we get saved. Then God says, okay, now you're saved. Way to go. Great job. Praise the Lord. Here, get to work. Bam, bam, get to work. So put it like this. Salvation is like this. You get married. Because the Bible talks about the church or when you get saved, you being the bride of Christ. So then you become his like spiritual spouse. Whatever you, you know, whenever you get saved, you become his like spiritual spouse. So then you get married and be like a husband getting married to a wife. And so, what's that? You have the marriage, you have the I do's, amen, praise the Lord, here we are, we're, we're together, united in God, we're a couple. So now, does a husband or wife then just kick back and say, okay, well now I'm married, now that's all my responsibility, that's all I got to do. Nah, you know, I, I, I don't ever got to help my wife, or my wife, you know, the wife says, oh, I don't ever have to cook or clean, or, um, yeah, that's it, I'll, let's, hey, just, just sit on the couch and, Oh, I mean, we got to work to support the house? Nah, I don't really want to work to support the house. I'm just going gonna, just gonna to kick back. and You're going to end up in a cardboard box. No, you have to love and serve your spouse. You have to treat them kindly. You have to love them. You have to show them you love them. And that's the same thing with God. God says, okay, you love me? All right. Now we got a relationship together. Let's work together too. Here's what i got for you to do. So... Anyway, I, I hate to go on that whole tangent, but it's, it's just sad in America because the title of Christian is so overused. So many people think that they're Christians, but they don't live 
like Christ lived, and they don't do the things which Christ said to do, and that they still call themselves Christians. So in that, we have also people that live, and then they live in such constant sin, but yet they call themselves Christians. And what this does is this, this is such a terrible thing because a non-believer, an atheist, agnostic, somebody that has no, doesn't even want to know God, will see somebody that doesn't live like Christ but claims to be a Christian, and they'll see them live in that sin, and they'll say, if that's a representative of God, I don't even want to know who God is. Forget that. And so sad, sad, sad all around, all of them end up going to hell. That one that professes to be a Christian but doesn't live like Christ, and the one that doesn't know, because the one that doesn't obey is the same as the one that doesn't believe at all, they all end up in hell, and then so that's just the end of everything. And my goodness, there's so many people going to be in hell. It's just so, so very sad. Anyway, on to our salt and light message. As I said earlier in this portion of his sermon, Jesus speaks on what his followers would have to do in service to him. We are going to read right now what God wants us to be. Notice I said what he wants us to be, not what he wants us to do, because this is a natural thing that you would be, but it does take a just a surrender to be this way. But we'll see as we go on what God wants us to be, not necessarily what he thinks about what we should be doing. So go to Matthew 3, go to verses 13 through 16, and we're going to read the text. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that you may see your good works, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father in heaven. So this whole section of scripture, this whopping four verses that we're going to cover today, what in essence is it all about anyway? Because we've got quite a bit more to say about it. But in essence, if you were going to give a one-liner, let's say we were going to sum it all up in one sentence, what does this whole four verses mean? It will go a little something like this. Real Christians better be sharing, or being o- be sharing and be open about their faith in Christ or they are good for nothing. Now, that's not my words. Jesus said that. So don't shoot the messenger. Please go after Jesus because he's the one that said it. It seems harsh, but we will see that we dig into these verses that if you really look at it, does, does God really ask for a lot from us? He says, be open about who I am. Is that really that hard? Considering what he did for us on the cross. And he says, be open about me. Is that really a lot 
for him to expect from us. Since, after all, he gave up everything for us. This teaching here in verses 13 and 16 is played out through Jesus' ministry, as we can easily see by these next verses. Matthew 4.19. Don't turn to them. I'm just going to rattle off some, real, you know, kind of rattle off. Jesus spoke to his first disciples, slash fishermen, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The very idea of being a fisher of men is that follow me and I would make you those that would go out and catch men for what? For Christianity. Catch men for what? Catching them for heaven. Because in essence, when you get saved, your, your home becomes heaven. And you're not going to, you fish from your homely place. Well, heaven's your home. And when you fish, you catch fish to bring out of the water, just like you would catch fish to bring them up into heaven. So he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We also look at Luke 10, 1 through 12, where we see a couple different times in Jesus' ministry where he actually called out disciples that were following him. And he said, he gave him charge to go do this very same thing. Jesus writes, or the Bible writes in Luke 10, 1 through 12, After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. And he sent them out two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest is truly great. Fishers of men, remember, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, send out laborers, send out fishermen into the harvest. Go your way, behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. That means it's not going to be easy. Jesus is saying, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. That means you're not going to be received. People aren't going to look kindly on what you're going to tell them. The fish may bite, but they're going to be like, I don't want to be caught. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, or sandals, and greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they gave, as they give. For the labor is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter, and they receive you, eat such things as set before you, and heal the sick there. Say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter, and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, the very dust of your city, which clings to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the day of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that city. So Jesus even said there, he plays it out. He What did he do? He collected 70 of his peoples that were following him. And he said, go out and proclaim the gospel. You are the salt of the earth. So, so on and so forth. He, I will make you fishers of men. Mark 6, 7-13. I'll read it. And he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two. Gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing with, well, for the journey except a staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor copper, nor money belts, but to wear sandals and not to go out and put on two tunics. And he said to them, In whatever place you want our house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you, when you depart from there, shake off the dust of your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in that day, in the day of judgment for, the, for that city. So they went out and preached that people should repent. And they cast out demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So 
Mark 16, 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So, so believers are salt and light. You are the salt of the earth. So that is what he's teaching. He's, he's He taught his things that he taught in, in this parable here, in this little teaching here, and he taught them all out through his whole ministry. In all these verses that we just looked at, God, Jesus showed us the action behind what he said here in Matthew 5, 13 through 16. He showed us the action in his life. Jesus himself, in fact, was an evangelist. The last, his three and a half years that he spent, in the last three and a half years of his life in the flesh that he spent ministering to people, uh, were spent doing evangelism day by day while he was walking around and doing his healings and his teachings. It's amazing. We, we can't see him any other way. But go back to 5.13 as we started, and we're going to break down salt of the earth, so on and so forth. We're going to break down that whole section of Scripture verse by verse, half a verse by half a verse, and we're going to go through them and, and see what Christ is really telling us here. Matthew 5.13 You are the salt of the earth. First thing to notice is Jesus calls real his people that are going to follow him the salt of the earth. Well, why did he do that? Why did he call believers salt? Well, look here. According to saltinstitutes.org and saltworks.us, because of the multiple chemical and physical properties of salt, are you ready for this? There are 14,000 uses of salt. Now, I never would have guessed that. And that's exactly what they say on their websites. The average person in the world does have no idea that salt really has 14,000 uses. Now we're going to go through those 14,000 uses one by one. Are you ready? Number one. Oh, I was just kidding. I'm just, <laughs> I normally don't have any comedy in my, in my messages, but you know, that, that, that was just an open door. I couldn't help it. But being serious, being serious, uh, why do I bring up the fact about salt? I'm glad you asked. Here's why. Salt is amazingly useful, 14,000 ways. And that being incredible, amazing. Could you, I never, maybe five, 10, 15, 20, 14,000? Are you serious? You think that Jesus knew that salt was that useful? You better believe he did. Because back in Jesus' day, they didn't believe, they didn't know they had 14,000 uses for salt. But Jesus knew they had 14,000 uses of salt. And I bet you there's probably more. He knew it before we did. Now, did Jesus really literally mean that we were salt? Like a person is literally salt? No, of course not. Jesus here used what they call a metaphor. A metaphor is a figure of speech in which an implied comparison is made between two unlike things that actually have something in common. But Jesus did liken us to salt. Why? So we're gonna I'm just gonna do three. Three of the two most common. One, I bet you didn't know. So some of the uses of salt. One of the major uses of salt, as we all know already, very common, is to season and to give our food flavor. 
Everybody knows that one. Did you also know in Jesus' day that salt, they didn't have refrigeration units. Salt was used to preserve food, meat. They would kill an animal or so on and so forth, and then they would pack that animal in salt with no refrigeration, and the salt would keep germs and eat, you know, uh, the meat from rotting. Okay? That, that's something that you know, they, they did in early America even. But this one blew my mind, and I bet you didn't even know this one, because I didn't know this one. Salt is an antiseptic. It's a cleaner. Salt is a cleaner. The definition of antiseptic is free from, free from or cleaned of germs and other microorganisms. So that salt, that what that does is that makes salt a purifier. A cleaner is a purifier. So just in three uses of salt, we see salt as a preserver, a purifier, and a food flavor enhancer. I think Jesus knew those three reasons when he was given this sermon. So why did Jesus liken real Christians to salt? Go back to verse 13 and look at the next part of the verse. The second half of verse 13 is, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Well, God showed me something in this verse that I never saw before until just this study. But look at this with me. Let's go through it again. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, so that's the, that's the main topic of there. If the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? He didn't say, how shall the salt season? How shall it be seasoned? The it is the earth. How shall it be seasoned? I went to Young's literal translation. I went through many translations of the Bible, and it all said, how shall it be seasoned? Well, it, what, it's not salt, because the salt is already seasoning. How shall it be seasoned? It's the earth. Note that's if you are the salt of the earth. Interesting, isn't it? The earth. Wow, never saw that before. So what Jesus is saying in plain words that we use today, real Christians should be bringing real Christ-like flavor to those around us and being the bringers of the purification of the word of God to this world which is full of sin. Sin is filth, and Christians should be the givers of the purifying words of God that can cleanse people from their sins. Real Christians are also the messengers of the salvation of Christ and his ability to cleanse people from their sin. And look at the alternative, and if we are not doing that, then we will lose our flavor and become good for nothing. Wow. Told you I would show you what we what we should be, not what we should do. And again, I say this again, those aren't my words. Those are the words of Christ. If you've got a problem with them, 
take it up with him. 2 Corinthians 2.15, Paul writes, For we are, the fra- we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So fragrance is an enhancement. When a woman puts on deodorant, perfume, it's enhancing their smell. We are the fragrance to God of the of Christ of those who are being saved and among those who are being oh, those who are perishing. Ter, uh, Colossians 4:6. Paul writes concerning this same teaching of Christ. Even though he probably wasn't referring to this because Paul wasn't here listening to this salt light message, Paul writes, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Wow. What are our words? It's supposed to be our words are like the salt of the earth. We are the salt. Our words are like the flavor, the essence, the, the uh, aroma, the fragrance to the people, to the world that's around us. On to verse 14 in 514 here in Matthew. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. What does that mean? Real Christians are the light of the world. And God is making us cities set on hills. Why? Matthew 4.16, and we just studied it probably three, four weeks ago. There's a prophecy about Jesus where the prophet wrote, The people who's about Jesus, this is a prophecy about Jesus from the Old Testament. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region of the shadow of death, light has dawned. So, Jesus is the light of the world. That's what we just learned there. Jesus is the light of the world. And he is passing, this is what verse 14 in Matthew is saying to us, he is passing that light on to those who would follow him. And he's making us cities that are set on hills. Why? Why? What does that mean? God is making us cities set on hills. Well, think about it. 2 Peter 3.9 says that God is not slack concerning his promises, is some kind of slackness, but is desiring that no man should perish, but that all people should come to everlasting life. All people should come to repentance. Well, a city that's in a valley, you can't see that city. A city that's hidden, you can't see that, that city. Christ makes us, he's making us cities on hills so that we're easily seen because a city is set on a hill when you want people to see it and you know where it's at. Where is that city? Oh, I don't know, just look up, look on the hills. Oh, yeah, there it is over there in that high hill over there. Well, Christ wants salvation to be on the highest hill it can because why? He wants all people to get saved. He doesn't want you to hide yourself as the city he's making you. He wants you to set yourself on a high hill. That way people could see you and see the works that you're doing for God and come to that light. Verse 15, let's break that one down. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a 
basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So when God gives us this light, in essence, he lights our lamps, just like we just talked about. Our lights are not lit so they could be hidden. So think about that. You got your house, and you have your lamp on the table, your small lamp, and you turn that light on. Do you light that lamp just so you could put a black trash bag over it so that nobody can see that light? Of course not. You light that light so that you can see what you're reading, so that you can see what's in the room, so that you don't bump into the table, so that you can see in the room. Well, verse 15, nor do they light a lamp. Put it under a basket, but by a lampstand, and it gives light to all those that are in the house. Jesus lighting our lights, lighting our lamps. He wants our lights to shine so that people can see them and not go in the dark and fumble into hell. He wants God people to see your lights and let those lights shine so that people can get out of the darkness, since the world is full of darkness, and come to the light. So Jesus closes this section of scripture with this topic of teaching on in verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So letting our lights that God has lit within us to shine so that others would see that beautiful light and glorify our maker. Because it's not about drawing attention to ourselves, but it's about letting our light so shine because after all, it is the light that Christ has lit within us that we want other people to see and not drawing people to us, but having people be drawn to Christ Jesus. Because after all, we don't save anybody, but Jesus saves people. So we want to draw people to him. Now in our closing, to real Christians, whoever's listening to this message is a real deal Christian. The words right out of Jesus' mouth were, you are etc., he is telling us what we are supposed to be. We are supposed to be the salt of the earth, giving flavor to all those that are around us in this world that we're around. Whether they're in the darkness and they can see, you know, they can smell our aroma and come out of the darkness, or he wants us to be light so that we can be set on a hill so people would see the light that Christ lit within us and be drawn to the light out of the darkness. And notice he did say, though, that salt can lose its flavor. He also said that a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. That means that we should be living a life of openness with our faith in Christ. Our faith should be on our sleeves. Everybody should know the aroma about us, the words that come out of our mouths, the things that we say, the things that we do, the lifestyles that we live should all be 
a lifestyle that Christ Jesus, a type of that he lived. This message that we spoke today should be a really powerful wake-up call for all of us in this room, anybody that would listen, period, and it was for me. Jesus gave the warning that if the salt, if, which means it can happen, because if he said if, then he gave a contingency that if salt, the salt loses its flavor. It is good for nothing but to be trampled on by people. Are you letting your lights shine for Christ? And are you being the salt of the earth that Jesus talked about? Where the earth, land, people around you are being seasoned by the truth of Christ and where the cleansing and the purification of the gospel exists. Because if we're an aroma of life, if we're an aroma of Christ to those that are around us and those in the world, and that's what this whole section of scripture is about, are we being that? Because if you can say right now to yourself, no, I'm not being this way, now's the time to repent of that. Why? Do you want to be unusable to the Lord of glory? Do you want to be worthless to the Lord of glory? Jesus said if the salt loses its flavor, it becomes good for nothing. Do you want to become good for nothing in God's eyes? Because I sure don't. Ask yourself why, if you are that way. Why am I hiding my light? Is it because you're ashamed of Christ? Because if that's it, then hear it. I don't share my faith because I am ashamed of Jesus Christ. Now what if Jesus would have been ashamed of us so much so as to not come down and step out of the heavenlies and step down into this sin-filled world and die for us because that took boldness and openness. And that he died that brutal death on the cross for us. All I could say is get busy for the Master. Let your light so shine. You don't want to be good for nothing. It would have been awesome if Jesus would have just said, everybody is the salt of the world. Every Christian is of salted earth, and they are, praise God, let's move on. But he didn't just say that. He said, you are the salt of earth, but, that's what the word if means, if the salt loses its flavor. If. I don't want anyone that's hearing this to be an if person. If you're an if person, please be usable to the master. If you're afraid of what people will say, don't you think you should be more afraid of what God will say to you on Judgment Day? When he says, you're saved, what did you do for me? Well, 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 I, 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 well. He says, my son. I gave you these talents. What did you do with them? Well, I, well, I hit him because I knew. And God's going to say, oh, my son. What would you do? You were ashamed of me. 
Was I ashamed of you? I don't want that to be you. So hear the words of Jesus. If a salt loses its flavor, it is good for nothing. Think about that. And don't just think. Do what God's telling you. So obviously this sermon was putting some real heavy definition and duty on something that real Christians are supposed to be doing as part of our reasonable service to God. And I realized this as the Lord was helping me to set up this week's message. So saying that, I also realized as the Lord showed me that everyone that will be listening to this message is not a real Christian. So for those that are not yet there, I know that you may be saying to yourself that there's no way that I could ever live this kind of life and be salt life for Christ. Talk about Him and let my light so shine for Him and be the salt of the earth. I could never do that. And to that I say you're right. You can't. You simply can't. You can't do it until you really see the treasure of who Jesus Christ really is and what He's done for you. And what He continues to do for you. In Matthew 13, 45 and 46, Jesus gives a parable about the kingdom of heaven. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. This person that found that pearl of great price saw how God sees them. They saw I'm wicked. I'm evil. Wow. Then they saw the kingdom of heaven and what Christ did for them. And they saw the kingdom of heaven. What God's gift is, one of his gifts to those that would follow his son Jesus. And this person saw that pearl, a great price, which is in essence heaven, and what Christ did for them. And it was so, notice he sook first. He sought it. And when he found it, because you have to seek, when he found it, he went after he found it. And it was so valuable. And he gave up his whole everything. He sold everything in his life, everything in his world, everything that he owned. So that made him nothing. John the Baptist said, I must decrease while he increases. He sold this man, sold everything that he had and went and bought the field where this, where this pearl was and he buried the pearl in this field and he bought the whole field just so he could be in this one place. And that was how highly he thought this treasure of heaven and what Christ did for them. And he saw the wickedness and that this treasure was there, whether they were wicked or good, but that, look what he did, he gave up everything. And he said, so until you really see that when you seek what God did for you, what Christ has laid up in store for you, if you're not with him, you can never say, I can live that kind of life and I can proclaim Christ and I can be open about him because it's impossible to do until you went home and sold everything that you had and come back and bought that field and then live in that one place just where the field is, just where Christ is. And think about that because that's why I can live an open life for Christ because I don't care about what people think about me. But it is something that we have to be careful of 
Whether you're a Christian or not Christian, it, whether you're a Christian, it's something you have to be careful of because the world is real, especially this America we live in, is real easy. It's real soft. Everything is so easy for us. We have fast food at our fingertips. We can go anywhere we want, do anything we want, anytime we want. It's so easy, and we get real lax. And we can say, oh, I shared the other day, I'm good, or I, or, I, I was light, you know, and I don't have to be light today, uh, it's, it's too hard. But always borderlining on being good for nothing. So wherever you are, because if you're not letting your light shine, you're not being open about Christ, or whether you're not even with Him, I ask you to repent and turn away from that evil is what it is really evil. Because if you're being ashamed of him and you're not being open about him and everybody around doesn't know who you are and your aroma is not seasoning those that are around you, that's sin. Because why are you ashamed of Christ? Or if you're not with him, that's sin. Because look what he did for you. Look at the great price he paid for you. He's that pearl of great price. Cry out to him right now in your hearts. And tell him, I just let's pray. God, forgive me, Lord God. And that's me praying right now. Just forgive me for all the times that I have not been the salt of the earth and the light in the city that's set upon a hill. I know there's been times when I have not been that and I know I should have been. Times that my speech should have been seasoned with salt, but it wasn't. But please forgive me and Lord, I pray that you would draw everyone in this room and everybody that will ever listen to this, draw them to forgiveness, draw them to repentance, draw them to take that step of wherever they need to be. I, I need to stop being so hidden about my faith or I need to see that what Christ really did for me. Because what you did for me, I need you. And I pray that they will cry out to you right now wherever they're at. Draw them to you, Lord God. Draw us closer and nearer to you or draw us to you, period, Lord God, wherever we're at, whoever's listening. God, please just save us from our wicked selves. Our wicked, lazy selves. Save us from our wicked and lazy selves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.